Hey, welcome back to The Caption Life. I'm your co-host and TV slash film reviewer, Sean. And in this mini episode, I'm reviewing the final episode of presumably season one of Hawkeye, episode six, entitled So This Is Christmas. I do have a spoiler-free article that I wrote about with this episode for Comic Watch that I'll link down in the notes below. So in case you haven't seen it yet or want to refer a friend to a spoiler-free review, but in this podcast episode, we will have spoilers, so you have been warned. Let's do this. Welcome to The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society, and vice versa. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, and follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, you name it, we're probably on it. You can also find out more information and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. So let's talk about the final episode of the season one of Hawkeye series entitled So This Is Christmas. I thought overall that this episode was well written and well done and that they did a great job of wrapping up a lot of people's stories with all the characters that are involved in a way that makes sense. That doesn't seem like it's completely rushed and forced to resolve some of the stories or issues that they created in the series itself. And so overall... Again, this is a great episode, and just like any other episode, there are issues I have with it that I'm going to go into, um, so I'll talk about that here a little bit, but before we dive into this episode, again, this is your final spoiler alert, so if you have not watched the final episode of Hawkeye, please put this on pause, go watch that episode, and then come back. That way, you won't have anything spoiled for you while you're listening to this episode. So for this podcast episode, I want to start off by just mentioning a lot of the little things that I noticed in this episode that I either just want to talk about for a little bit. Uh, for the most part, I really enjoyed them. Uh, but there are a couple things that I want to mention and just discuss it with you all and see what your thoughts are on it and just kind of um, throw that out there in the world and see if there's anything to it or if I'm the only one that thinks about these things in this way. Um, but let's go ahead and dive into um, just a bunch of little things I noticed in the episode that I just want to mention here. So first and foremost, I mentioned this in my review of episode one of Hawkeye, and I still think it's really strange that Armand the third and Armand the seventh exist in the same world and they were alive at the same time. Um, I, I've talked to my wife about this and I don't know what the actual rules are when you're talking about naming people after their fathers or their grandfathers or other relatives. And I know that my wife's family has this tradition where they all have like the same first name, but they go by the middle name. Um, but that's not what's going on here at all because they all have the same name and then they have the suffix, you know, the third or the seventh. And so if you think about it this way, Armand the third is the great, great grandfather of Armand the seventh, which I find that very interesting and strange. And I just want to know why Marvel decided to have Armand the third and Armand the seventh, if this was some sort of commentary or they thought this would be funny to have. Um, I just, I don't know a whole lot of great, great grandfathers that are living, um, 
that I know personally. So I thought it was just kind of weird that we had this in the story. And I don't know if we're going to see Armand the seventh in a later series or episodes, if he's going to come up again for whatever reason. And this might be a character in the Marvel comics. That I'm just not familiar with. And maybe if I know more about that character, this would make a lot more sense, but I just thought that was weird in general. And again, I'm just curious to see why they had Armand the third and Armand the seventh in the show. I think one of the other characters that showed up in this episode that everyone is absolutely going to love and that Disney would be crazy for not trying to capitalize on this is the little owl that they found in the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center. I know everybody loved that owl. It was really cute. I know I thought it was awesome. And then it was crazy to owl take up the trusted bro truck that got shrinked by the PIM technology and flew off. And I'm sure everyone's wondering, are they just going to stay tiny forever? So I don't know if Marvel's ever going to dress that, if that's just a reality that we'd have to accept that somewhere out there, there's these two or three tracksuit mafia guys who are living in a very hot wheel like trust a bro truck that just going to live out the rest of their days in a very small size life. Now, something I mentioned on this show in a couple of episodes is how the Hawkeye series is inspired by the comic book run of the same name, Hawkeye, that was written by Matt Fraction and artist David Aha, Matt Hollingsworth. And one connection that I mentioned before are the LARPer characters. Now, in the comic book run, they didn't have any LARPers at all. But what these characters were, like Grills and Wendy, they were actually tenants of the building that Clinton Barton lived. And in that comic run, he owned the building at that time. But what we see in the story is because Clint wanted to take care of everybody in that building because he cared for them as though they're his friends. And remember, this is a very different Clint Barton than what we see in the series because this Clint Barton did not have a family. He didn't wasn't even in a relationship with anybody at that time. In fact, he was divorced from Bobby Morris, a.k.a. Mockingbird. And so this is very different what we see in the show. But in the comic book run, by the time we get to the very last issue, we see that all the tenants actually help out with the final battle scene and that they tried to fight off the tracksuit mafia and help Clint and Kate with that. And I mentioned in the previous episode that I think they're going to do the same thing with these characters in the Hawkeye series because they're first responders, they're LARPers, and so they know at least a little bit about how to take care of people if they're injured, but also some understanding of what it means to be in a battle and things like that. And of course, in this episode, they did a great job of tying that in and showing that they're helping Clint. That makes sense. We didn't get to see them become superheroes because they're not those kinds of characters at all. But they show that just your average person could still make a huge difference in something like this, right? And what I love is we get that brief little scene where they pretty much said after the battle that they're essentially (laughs) Avengers. So I love that part. Moving on to my next topic, I don't think anyone's really surprised that Jack wasn't a villain. For those who are big fans of Hawkeye from the comic book run, and you've heard me talk about this on the show before as well too, is that Jack Duquesne in the comics was known as the Swordsman and was actually a villain that was the person that trained Clint Barton to be a skilled fighter. Now, as I mentioned before, multiple times, I'm okay when the MCU changes origin stories or characters that we got from the comics because I treat the MCU like it's its own comic book universe and that it's not always going to be a direct representation or retelling of the same character that we've read in the comic books that we see in Earth 616. Again, MCU is called Earth 199999. I think I've said that correctly, but 
I think what they did with Jack here makes a lot of sense. I don't think anyone's surprised that he is not a villain, but I love the fact that now he's going to become this lovable character unless they retcon his character to show that he's actually been more sinister than we realized this whole time, which I don't think they're going to do. But I think everybody's going to enjoy Jack and probably want to see him in a future season of Hawkeye, either as a guest cameo, as a regular, because I think everybody's loving that character now with all of his butchered idioms that he uses and just a sweet guy that ends up being (laughs) and joins the fight with his sword. And even Kay was just like, yeah, he's on our side, but we should probably get him out of here too. So, um, so I think they did a great job with how they handled Jack. I don't think anyone's surprised that he's really been a red herring this whole time, but I actually like what they did with Jack and how they made him somebody that could still be in Kate's life and be a good inspiration and that it's somebody that she doesn't have to be suspicious anymore and that maybe she could develop that relationship with Jack later on in her series. Next topic, we finally get a name for Pizza Dog, and I'm glad they did not change this because I know a lot of people have been calling him this from the beginning, but we have the name Lucky the Pizza Dog, and I guarantee you he's going to show up in more projects And I hope that we're going to see him in future seasons of Hawkeye because everybody loves him. And again, I'm surprised that we don't have a stuffed animal that Disney is trying to sell because this would be a great Christmas gift to get a lot of Marvel Comics and MCU fans. So hopefully Disney will start selling this soon or maybe when the next season comes out, we'll see. But I love Lucky the Pizza Dog and I can't get enough of him. I also love in this episode that we got to see Clint Barton make it home in time for Christmas to spend with his family and that he brought Lucky the Pizza Dog and Kate to spend with him since Kate is no longer celebrating Christmas with her family since her family is in jail now. But I love the fact that Kate was able to finally meet Clint's family and that there's a little bit more of a camaraderie between them and more partnership and that they're closer as partners and as friends. And I'm sure she's eating it up because this is her role model and she feels like she's finally part of the gang in this sense, right? But I also love how they set up with Kate possibly taking on the mantle of Hawkeye moving forward, which I hope they do. I think that Clint is officially going to retire for the third or fourth time, right? Because he retired multiple times. But that this is something that we might see him step away from the MCU and maybe come back every once in a while, but that he's going to tell Kate that she should take the mantle of Hawkeye and that she should go on and become a superhero with that mantle. So hopefully we'll see this. And I don't know if they're going to really show how that happens or just going to be become part of her persona. I don't know if they're ever going to explain like, oh, I thought Clint was Hawkeye. Why are you Hawkeye? Um I don't know how Marvel's going to deal with that or handle with that when Kate shows up in future movies or series or other projects that she might show up in. But I love the fact that they're already setting that up to make that transition for Kate. Next, I think this has been something that everyone has been talking about on social media, but we all love the interaction between Kate Bishop and Yelena. We all love every single minute of it. I love the elevator scene <laughs> where Kate smacked Yelena across the face and Yelena just looked at her shocked and was just like, what was that for? It's just, they have a great relationship where even though they're fighting each other, They have that mutual respect and even seem to apply that they might even become really good friends after all this happens, especially since we see that 
Yelena does not kill Clint at the end, but I love to see more of this happening in the future in the MCU where Kate and Yelena interact with each other. Hopefully they'll team up, whether it's just the two of them or if they're part of a larger team. But I think their dynamic on screen is just so great and everybody wants more of that. Now, tell me this. Am I the only one that was just waiting for Kate Bishop to press all the buttons on the elevator and to say it looks like a Christmas tree, like what we see from the movie Elf? Because that's what I was thinking the whole time. So if I was the only one thinking that, let me know. But if you were thinking that as well, you're in good company. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here and go to the mid-credits scene. I can't remember if I discussed this in my previous episodes where I reviewed the other episodes of Hawkeye. But the Broadway scene where we get the song save the city, and we see the Broadway depiction of the Avengers event. I think at first, I really enjoyed it. But the more I think about it, and the more it gets played, the more I hate it personally, uh, for a couple of reasons. And I'll dive into this here real quick. Is One, the Broadway show looks like it was created and produced by a high school company. The costumes looked very terrible. Like Even if you just look at any of them, any of them look like they were very amateurish for whatever reason. And maybe it's intentional. I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe there's a bigger story behind it where they wanted to give maybe some amateurs or maybe a high school college crew to make the costumes. And if that's the case, I think that's a great backstory to have. But thinking about whenever you see a Broadway play, a Broadway musical, it is at the high level production that you would see in cinema. And to see the costumes look like it's something where somebody went to Goodwill or Joanne Fabrics and stitched something together, I think I find that very odd in that you wouldn't really see that on a Broadway performance. So why am I bringing this up? I am not a huge fan of that number whatsoever. I think I was at first because the idea sounded really cool at first. But now I'm just like, I'm over it. And having a full five minute scene where it's just the number from that musical, I'm like, that could have been an extra that they could have just put on Disney Plus and give us a proper mid credit scene. So I, my problem isn't really necessarily the fact that they did that. I think my problem has been more the fact that we didn't get a mid credit scene, whether it's an insight on what's going to happen in the future or just a confirmation of getting a second season of Hawkeye. Because even though in all the promos, we see that Hawkeye is talking about this was the season finale, and that implies there's going to be another season. They didn't really confirm it either. And so at this point, I'm a little worried that they're still not sure if they're going to have a second season or not, which is why they left it open at this point. But I really wish that if they were going to have a second season, that they would have had that as a mid-credit scene, like what we saw in Loki, when it didn't really talk about the future of the MCU to you or tease any sort of future plot, but it just confirmed that there was going to be a second season of Loki. And me personally, again, Hawkeye is one of my favorite projects of all the Marvel series that they created. And I think if we're going to greenlight Loki, they could have done the same thing with Hawkeye as well, too. And last but not least, about the little things I noticed before I get into the bigger discussions about this episode and the series is... I believe in episode four, we saw Kate learning how to do the coin flick from Clint and how to knock something by flicking it. And I said in that episode that because they own in on that scene for a long time, that that was going to come up again. And they teased it a little bit in episode five as well, too, because he was doing it casually and she broke something in the room. But we did see her do the same thing when she grabbed the infamous cufflink from Kingpin and flicked it to detonate the bomb. And I thought it was great how they did that because, again, as very similar to what we saw in the comics, 
But if you're somebody that have not watched the Netflix series of Daredevil and you don't know what the significance is of that cufflink and why that was such a huge deal if you're seeing people talk about it on social media, I'll give you the breakdown here real quick. I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but in the Netflix Daredevil series, we get an origin story of how Kingpin is brought up as a child and why he is the way he is psychologically. And basically, the whole story goes is that his father was very abusive physically to um, his mother. And one day, he just had enough of it. And so he grabbed the hammer and basically bashed his father's head in and killed him. And then his mother helped hide the murder by basically cutting the body up and then dumping it into the river over the span of a week. But because of that, he has that special relationship with his mother where he's very protective of her. And she gave him the gift of his father's cufflinks. And so Kingpin says, that he always wear those cufflinks as a reminder of his father. And I think it's a reminder of that decision he made to be who he was, which is Kingpin. So that's why there's that significance with the cufflinks. That's why a lot of people are talking about it. And that's probably the connection of people are saying that this Kingpin is supposedly the same Kingpin that we see in the Netflix series. I'm going to talk a little bit about that towards the end of this episode and kind of explain why I think that might not be the case. All right, so the bigger topic discussions I want to dive into a little bit. So I love in this episode, this was a episode where we get a lot of resolutions for a lot of characters. So we see that Jack wasn't a villain like they were setting him up to be. That we know Kate Bishop's mom, Eleanor, was the villain this whole time and that she was in cahoots with Kingpin and that we get a resolution for Maya and her situation. But what I really love about this episode is that we get a resolution story for Yelena. Now, if you're not familiar with her story because you haven't seen Black Widow yet, you might want to watch that movie because this explains a lot of questions that you might have about this character. But. Elena really struggled with her relationship with Nat because she truly saw herself as a sister to Nat and Nat did as well too, but there was clearly some sort of separation and they didn't really talk to each other from what we saw in episode five with Elena's backstory of what happened to her during the snap. But the fact that she seemed to not know a whole lot about Nat and her personal life and haven't had a whole lot of communication with Nat, it was nice to see that while she was trying to kill Clint because she thought that he was the reason why she was dead. Clint shocked her with doing the secret whistle that she and Nat had. And then he tells her a bunch of details that Natasha shared with him about Elena and how much she cared for her as her sister. And so it was really nice to be able to see that Elena has some closure in that not only does she know what happened to her sister and the truth behind it, but that her sister really did love her and that she wasn't really abandoned the way that she felt, but that she cared for her very much. And that was just really nice to see on screen and really see that resolution come for Yelena and that she's able to move on and move forward with her life. And I'm very excited to see where she's going to show up later in the future. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is the mysterious watch that's been popping up in the series. And if you listen to the other review episodes, I was adamant about how I did not think this watch was going to belong to Laura Barton. And lo and behold, I was wrong because that's exactly what we find out in this episode where Clint makes it back home in time for Christmas. He gives the watch to Laura and said, you need to take better care of your stuff. And she flips it around and we see that not only is it her watch, but... It has the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on it and it has the number 19 at the bottom of it, which implies that she was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Now, I'm going to go on record and say that I still think this doesn't make any sense. The only way it makes sense 
is one, if it's just kind of like a little nod to some sort of fandom that's out there about Mockingbird and how a lot of people love Mockingbird, which, again, I love Hawkeye. I'm not too familiar with his series or his story outside of a few issues, including the Fraction Aha Hollingsworth run. So I don't know much about Mockingbird, but my guess is this was kind of put in there for that reason, because I do know that he was married to Mockingbird, which was Bobby Morse in the comics, and then they were divorced. And so that was their romantic relationship. So there's a lot of questions that'll come up with this, but it still doesn't make sense to me for a number of reasons. One, we know that Clint thought the watch was destroyed. So if Clint thought the watch was destroyed, then we know that he probably wasn't the one that brought it to the Avengers compound. Because again, if you're wanting to make the argument that maybe he brought it into the Avengers compound and then when they were snapped away, he just forgot about it or something like that. Remember that Laura wasn't in service by the time Age of Ultron was around. Like maybe she had a couple of assignments here or there, or maybe she was doing part time. But by and large, it looked like she was out of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she had two kids and she was pregnant with a third already and we didn't have the Avengers compound at that part until after Age of Ultron so that part still doesn't make sense if Clint thought it was destroyed and it was at the Avengers compound the question you have to ask is well who brought it to the Avengers compound it doesn't make sense for Clint or Laura to have brought it to the compound and they have to still explain why that happened the other question we have to ask is why did Maya or Fisk want the watch Because in episode six, we did see Wilson Fisk talk about Clint and Ronan as though they were two different people. There was a scene where he's talking to Kazi and he's talking about what's going on with their world right now. And that he said that the Ronan is out there and we have Avenger coming after us. And so it's clear that he didn't know at that time that they were the same person. So it doesn't make sense why Maya and Fisk would want it because they didn't know that Clint was Ronan. And if the whole argument was that he wanted to get back at Clint, well, again, he didn't know that Clint was Ronan. So it still doesn't make sense why they would want that watch. Now, the significance here with the number 19, if you're not familiar with this, I had to look this up. So it's not something that I know personally, but I looked this up when I saw the scene is that Agent 19 does refer to the agent number of Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird, that is the wife slash ex-wife of Clint Barton in the comics. Now, it's very interesting because I know there's a lot of people who are fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they'll talk about how Bobby Morris was also in that show. And so now they're trying to make sense of how does this all work in terms of, one, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is part of the MCU continuity and how that whole thing works. And so, again, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details about what this means with Agent 19 and Mockingbird, because there's a lot of theories going out there and a lot of people will nitpick this until the cows come home at this point, right? But that's the significance of the number 19 is that it seems to imply that Laura Barton is Mockingbird on some level. So if you're interested in learning more about Laura Barton and Bobby Morris and Mockingbird, definitely just do an internet search. Laura Barton is actually not a huge part of the Marvel comics. She exists in one part of the Marvel universe, but she's not part of the Earth 616 universe. That's the main universe in the comics that I'm familiar with, or at least that's what I've read so far. So, so again, the watch is in there. I'm not a big fan of how they treat the watch. I think it still leads a lot of questions, and I think there was probably a specific reason why they put it in there in the story, but it just, for me, doesn't fit in the bigger story of Hawkeye altogether. Next, let's talk about Kingpin. So we all know that Vincent D'Onofrio made it back as Kingpin from the end of episode five. 
I got to say, it was nice seeing him portray the same character that we saw from the Netflix series. I'm still <laughs> disappointed he used that same voice, but I get why he does that, and that's part of his persona. I know a lot of people like that. I personally do not, but again, take that part out. I think he's fantastic as Kingpin. I also thought it was interesting <laughs> that he wore a Hawaiian shirt under his white suit jacket in this episode. And at first, I thought it was kind of out of character for him, especially with what we saw in the Netflix series of Daredevil. But I did see on Twitter that some people point out that this is actually a panel straight from the comics. And so this is not something that was really random. It was probably a call out to a specific issue that we see Kingpin wearing that shirt. So I think that's interesting. I need to dive into that a little bit more. But I love the fact that he was wearing Hawaiian shirts. It kind of seems that he's a little bit not casual necessarily, but maybe you know not as serious when he's wearing that. Or maybe he's getting ready to go on vacation. Who knows? The other question I have about Kingpin is why did he want Armand dead? And my guess at this point is that because in episode one, we did find out that Armand discovered that Eleanor was up to no good. And he said that, I can't believe your company is built on lies. And my guess he's found out about Kingpin. And so that's probably why he wanted Armand dead. That's the only explanation I could figure out. They didn't really dive into that or dive into some of those specifics. Sometimes Marvel does explain it later on. Sometimes they don't. And so we may never get that, but I'm okay with that. But if you're wondering why he went Armand dead again back in episode one, it's probably because he discovered Eleanor's relationship with Kingpin. And so he wanted to go ahead and kill him off. Now, the question is, is this the same Kingpin from the Daredevil series? I got to be honest. In this episode, it seems like he's a little bit different and that he might be a variant. And here's why is that this Kingpin was able to take on arrows that Kate Bishop shot at him. Now, you can make the argument that in the Netflix series, he wore a suit of armor with chainmail, and I can buy that. I think it flops a little bit when you think about the fact that chainmail probably wouldn't be able to catch an arrow sticking out from his body like that necessarily, but I could still buy that, you know, maybe that's what's going on there, that he's wearing chainmail under his shirt. But then he gets hit by a car, gets up like nothing happened to him, and then he gets blown up by an explosive arrow and then walks it off at the end of it, and then we know what happens at the end is presumably he gets shot. So this one is very different because in Netflix Daredevil... He's a little bit more humanistic in terms of the pain he can take on in that series, right? So I don't think we would have seen that happen to Kingpin in the Netflix series the same way we saw in Hawkeye. So I think that's alluding to the fact that this might be a different kind of Kingpin in some level. Because if we saw the same Kingpin take on that same kind of damage in the Netflix Daredevil series... He would definitely be more bloodied up. He definitely would have been more injured. It definitely would have had different kinds of damages because that was a little bit more realistic. But again, you can make an argument either way. I'm not going to get into that argument. I just say that this is my viewpoint on it. Whatever they decide is going to be fine with me. I'm not hung up on it. But if you had to ask me where I'm leaning right now, I'm thinking that this is not the same kingpin that we saw in the Netflix Daredevil series. And there's another reason for that. I'm going to get to that here in a second. So as I mentioned before, we do see in this episode that implies that he gets shot and killed by Echo, but we didn't see this on screen. We just saw the camera pan up and that they were no longer in view of the camera. And then we heard the gunshot. So maybe he got shot, but still survives from that. Or maybe Maya decides to shoot it up in the air and says, 
I am out. Leave me alone because maybe she still sees him as a relative, even though he was the one that killed her father. Who knows? But I don't think that he is really dead at this point. I think he's actually going to show up in the Echo series that we're going to get, which features Maya Lopez and is really strongly rumored that that is where Matt Murdock and Daredevil is going to show up as well, too. Now, the other reason why I think this Kingpin may not be from the Netflix series is that Wilson Fisk was talking to Maya and mentions how their family multiple times. And the way he says it sounds very literal. And this is really interesting because if that's the case, if the way he's saying this is meant to be taken as literally relatives and that he is literally her uncle, then this shows that this will not be the same kingpin from the Netflix Daredevil series because in that series, we saw his origin story of how he's the only child. Again, you can make the argument, well, maybe Vanessa, his wife from the Netflix series, had like a brother or sister or whatever. But again, I think with the timing of everything, it doesn't still add up because he didn't meet Vanessa till later on. And we saw that he was her uncle, Maya's uncle, when she was a young kid. So I think that still doesn't hold up. So if we were to take this literally, then I think that's another clue that this is not the same kingpin from the Netflix series. So knowing that and thinking about the watch, with what it means with Mockingbird and Laura Barton, I think that Marvel is implying, they didn't really confirm this or anything like that, but I think they might be implying that the series from ABC and Netflix properties are not tied into the MCU. Because if we think that Kingpin is not the same one here for the reasons I stated, and the fact that Laura Barton is being treated as Mockingbird in this series, whereas we had a Bobby Morris Mockingbird and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this might be implying that they are not in canon, which kind of, you can make an argument either way. And again, I'm not in the business of making an argument either way. I enjoy it for what it is, whether they're all part of the continuity or not. I don't think it takes away from my enjoyment of them, whether they are or whether they aren't. But this is a very highly debated topic that I think Marvel's just putting fuel to the fire here. And what's interesting is that on social media, they talked about how the director said that they are definitively going to answer the question, are these characters, are these shows part of the MCU? And then when you watch the episode, they didn't really definitively do this. I think you could say at best they implied it with the reasons I shared here. And people can argue that they implied it one way or another, that they applied for them being the continuity or against them being the continuity. And so I think that's still going to be something that we're going to discuss long after the show until somebody from Marvel basically says, there's no question about it. These properties are slash are not part of the MCU, especially now that we have the multiverse and the variants. I think that's the only way that we'll actually get to see that resolved is when they come out and just explicitly say that instead of beating around the bush there. So those are my thoughts about episode six. My overall thoughts about the series. Again, Hawkeye has been my favorite Marvel series of all of them so far. I think it's better than WandaVision. It's better than the Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, What If. I think this has been the best one they've created so far. What's really interesting to me is that this is actually one of their lowest viewed shows. And there's an article out there that I've read where it explains... The reason why this might be is because the other shows that was airing at the time, we didn't have any other movies being shown. And so this is what people wanted to watch. Looking at Hawkeye series now, we had Shang-Chi that came out. We had Eternals that came out. And then we just had Spider-Man No Way Home that came out. And so it makes sense why people might not be watching this show. And the fact that the MCU is not really impacted by the show with the exception of Kingpin showing up in this final episode. So I think it's really interesting to see that 
the viewership is not as big as the other shows, but I think that's going to change over time. And I think that this is going to be a show that a lot of people are going to refer to as the greatest show that they've created up to this point. The show is very well done. It's very realistic. It has some great realism into when it comes to heroism. They have some great writing in here, representation. Like I said, I love the fact that they have Maya Lopez and Clint Barton as deaf. Maya, I hope we get to see more of her Native American heritage and her Echo series that comes out. I think that was a missed opportunity for Marvel. So I hope they really correct that in her own series that comes out. And I love the fact that we got a deeper dive into Clint Barton and his story and that this was a great setup to introduce Kate Bishop and show how she's going to fit in the larger MCU and give her her own origin story that makes sense with the other characters that are coming into play with the MCU as well, too. I am always going to say that episode three of the series is going to be the best episode. This is the one that I rated nearly 10 out of 10 on my review for Comic Watch, where it had great writing. So Katie Matthewson and Tanner Bean did a fantastic job on this. They had some great action scenes in there that was just phenomenal. That is cinematic level with what we've seen with the larger Avengers projects that Marvel Studios comes out with, right? It had a lot of great emotion, a lot of great story writing, comedy, relationship building. I just love all those things. I think that's going to be the highlight of the series is everyone's going to point to episode three being the best one that they had so far. Really, this episode needs to be nominated for award. If Disney doesn't do this, I think they'll be out of their minds to not do that. And everybody's going to say how much they love Pizza Dog. And now we could call him Lucky the Pizza Dog because he is great. And by the way, did you know that Lucky the Pizza Dog is played by a female dog named Jolt? And last but not least, I mentioned this already, but we need to see more Kate and Elena interactions and team up in the future in MCU, whether it's on this show, whether it's in a Black Widow show or movie or other team up movies that we're going to see in the future projects of Marvel Studios. We definitely want to see more of that. I think people are saying, yes, we love Kate and Clint, but we love Kate and Elena a lot more. And I'm okay with that. I think their team up is going to be great. It's a great way to kind of pass on the baton between two mantles that are very iconic for the Avengers. And I think all of us are going to love seeing that here. So even though I love this series, there are a few issues I have with this. And number one, I mentioned this multiple times. They need to correct how they capture texting on the screen. Whenever they type in the messages, their thumbs never line up with the letters that's being shown in the screen. And so they really need to fix that for the next season that they do. The other issue I had is Kate's maturity level. Now, I think season two, we're not going to see that as much because she's at that point where she's matured a lot more and she's seen as Clint partner. And I think that honeymoon face is worn off by the time we see season two. But I get why they wrote it this way, because she is kind of that fangirling experience that we love Tom Holland for when it comes to Iron Man and the Avengers. But I think they took it a little too far in the series. And I really hope that they bring that back down. I think they will because it makes a lot of sense when you think about it in terms of context of this show takes place in a matter of a week. Kate is only 22 years old. This is her hero that she's idolized since she was like 10 or 12 years old. And so it makes a lot of sense why they did it this way. I think just in terms of the story writing, they just put that in a little too much for my liking. And I did not like that after episode three and on, basically. So when it got to episode four and five, I would have been okay if they just didn't do those little plugins of how Kate said that she is Clint's partner slash best friend, because I just got a little annoyed with it by that point. 
But like I said, moving on, I don't think they're going to write that in as part of her character because then she'll have a couple years under her belt. She's a little bit more mature. She sees Clint as an equal as opposed to a hero, an idol of hers. And so I think we're going to not have that problem moving forward. And last but not least, I've already mentioned this before, but I still have serious issues with how they handle the watch. I hope that they either answer some of those questions or they just kind of let it go. I don't think they're really going to do anything with the Mockingbird story at all. I think it was just something to maybe appease the fans or just kind of do a little shout out like they like to do in their other shows. But who knows? I just really don't think they're going to do anything much more with it. I don't see what the benefit would be for that unless it sets something up for season two for whatever reason. Maybe we'll see Laura Barton get her time on screen as a kick-ass agent that comes back from retirement like Clint does. So I don't know. We'll see, though. So moving forward, here are the things I hope we see in the future of Hawkeye. First, I really want to see Haley Seinfeld return as Kate Bishop in other movies and series. I don't know where that would make the most sense at this point. But I really hope that she does have some sort of cameo or show up as another part of a movie or series that Marvel will have just so we can still see her show up in the MCU and that she's not just confined into her series like what we've seen with some of the other shows. Like we've seen Yelena show up in Black Widow in this series and we've seen Loki in movies in his series as well, too. So I really hope that Kate Bishop is going to show up in other projects that's not her own specific property but it's part of the other stories as well, too. So I really hope that we see her in future projects that's not Hawkeye-specific. But that being said, I really hope we get a season two of Hawkeye with both Kate Bishop and Clint. As I mentioned, it doesn't seem like they've confirmed this yet to date. They did say that this was the season finale, but they did not confirm that there was going to be a season two. So I hope they do that soon and that we can kind of rest a little bit. And I think that if they do a season two, I would love to see a Christmas theme again. I don't want them to overkill it and always connect Hawkeye with the Christmas season. But I love the fact that this series was a Christmas series. And I'm sucker for anything that's Christmas related. And next year, we are getting the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. And so as long as we get season two, I'm okay with that. If it's another Christmas series, I think that'd be a great idea as long as they do it well and that it's not something that is kind of a cheap attempt of doing that. But as long as we get season two, I'm good with that. What I would love to see if they do a season two is that Kate move out to L.A. and become a private eye like what we've seen in the comics. And I think it would be a great opportunity for them to do Jessica Jones cameo because in the Kelly Thompson run of Hawkeye, we do see that exact thing where Kate Bishop becomes a private eye as she gets a visit from Jessica Jones. So I think it'd be a great way to introduce Kristen Ritter's character in there. I think season two would also be a great opportunity for them to introduce Clint's brother, Barney, who was a villain in the series. And I think that could be a storyline where with Barney showing up on the scene leads Clint and Kate teaming up again. And maybe he's the new villain or maybe he teams up with them. Who knows? But I would love to see Barney gets introduced and that we get another archer on the show. But his mantle is trick shot. And just like with Clint, he actually has great markmanship with anything. It's not just archery, but it's also swords and anything that's a weapon, basically, just like Clint. So I'd love to see that show up. Last but not least, I hope by the time they get to season two, there's enough momentum for people to demand that David Aha gets compensated for his influence and work on Hawkeye. I think Matt Fraction got paid because I know he got credited as a consultant for the series. Um, but from what I understand, David Aha did not get compensated for his work. And again, legally, Disney and Marvel probably did not have to pay him anything. But this is an ethics thing where when they draw so much inspiration from his artwork, that becomes pretty much the core of the story. I think it's just the right thing to do. So legally, this is probably not going to have any movement anywhere, but I think 
Disney and Marvel just really needs to own up to the fact that they took a property that, yes, they own, but this is heavily inspired by an artist's work who is not going to see a penny of any of this stuff. And they're probably making millions of dollars on this property. And I think it'd just be the right thing for them to do. So if you're interested in supporting this, we did start a petition on change.org to try to get Disney to compensate David Aha for his work. And so I'll put that in the show notes here as well, too. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts and review for season one finale of Hawkeye entitled So This Is Christmas. If you have anything that you want to share with me about this, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. My username is at the Sean Hulk, or you can contact me through our podcast social media handles as well. Whichever makes sense to you, we'd love to hear from all of you. And that wraps up another review episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on social media under username at Caption Life. If you like what we're doing, give us a shout out, tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecaptionlife.com. 